You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1,893rd edition of St Edwardsby News Talk for the 25th of August. The editor of this edition is Katrina Morris, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Jill and Nick Gain. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Praise and thanks for Heatwave Fire Heroes. Chief. Hospital is safe until at least 2030. It's like a third world country. Brian and Joyce call time on 40 years at Plough. 1,300 incidents alone this summer in the county. Community leaders from across Suffolk have thanked the county's fire crews who have worked tirelessly battling blazes sparked by the heat waves of the past two months. Fire crews have been called to more than 1,300 incidents since the beginning of July. More than 600 of these incidents were blazes in the open. The Suffolk Fire Brigade Union said some retained crews had worked for up to 16 hours before going to work the next day. During the recent hot spell, firefighters, both full-time and retained, have attended fires in temperatures of up to 39 degrees. Chief Fire Officer... Drew Lacey said the service had been humbled by the outpouring of support. Joe Churchill, Barry St Edmunds MP, said from speaking to several constituents who, who have sadly been affected by recent fires, I want to convey my thanks and appreciation for the hard work, resilience and diligence of Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service has demonstrated in response to this summer's extreme weather. Without the efforts of members of Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service who have acted with professionalism, kindness and speed, the impact would have been so much greater. They have been exemplary and their efforts mean an enormous amount to the communities they serve. A hospital has reassured patients its ageing building that is set to be replaced is safe until at least 2030 as it revealed it is spending upwards of £64 million to deal with structural problems. West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds is one of seven major hospitals known to be affected by lightweight concrete called Reinforced Autoclaved Aerated Concrete, RAAC. There are about 10,000 RAAC planks in the roof of its main building in Hardwick Lane and about 5,000 in its walls. There is due to be a new West Suffolk Hospital by 2030 under the government's new hospital programme and the Department of Health and Social Care says this is on track. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust said the total capital spends to date for all RAAC-related work across the Hardwick Lane site comes in at £64,140,000, which includes putting in a support system for the planks and a new ward to help with capacity while the work is underway. The bulk of this money has come from the government's national package of funding for RAAC safety works, including £25 million for this year. And the Trust expects to receive a further £10 million from April 2023, taking the capital spends to deal with RAAC to more than £74 million. Craig Black, Interim Chief Executive of the Trust, said... We are spending public money on making a building safe that is only going to last for a few years. I don't skip home when I get told we have just been allocated £25 million to spend on RAAC. £25 million is a massive amount of money that could do some huge good for patient care. Instead, we are spending that on shoring up a building that needs replacement. That's not great. He added, The reality is we need to continue to deliver a service to the population and that money is required in order to provide safe accommodation. He said a structural engineer who is an expert in RAAC found the management programme, the building is safe until at least 2030. A Bury Town and West Suffolk councillor has likened the dental situation in the town 
to a third world country as she announced a dental charity would return next year. Councillor Diane Hind, who represents Tollgate Ward, tweeted that her and fellow councillors Cliff Waterman and Max Clark would be funding two more visits from Dentaid, hopefully in spring 2023. Dentage, which offers free emergency dental clinics to people here and overseas, has already visited the town four times to help. Councillor Hines said, Dentaid has said they see a great need, not just a need, in the town for their help. I have had people on social media asking when they are coming again and emails from people saying they need to see someone. The rot of the dental system here set in about five or six years ago and has only got worse. Oral health is so important. The councillor said she felt it was a combination of things such as a lack of reform in encouraging dentists to keep more NHS patients, some not realising they had been struck off their dentist lists, the pandemic and dentists getting fully trained at NHS practices and then leaving that has had people taking some extreme measures. She said, I spoke to people when Dentaid was here before and heard some terrible stories. People pulling out their own teeth and one who had lanced her own abscess. How desperate do you have to be to do things like that? Dentaid was set up to treat the likes of the homeless and those from third world countries and has expanded due to demand. Now it is like Beris Nimmons is a third world country with the amount of times they have come and the state of dentistry here. It's absolutely shocking. Jill Harding, Dentate's communications director, said the clinics in the town had been extremely busy with its volunteers helping as many as they could out. She asked, Councillors are already very concerned about the lack of dental care in their community and the impact it has on people's lives. We are pleased to continue this relationship with them so we can return next year. Each time we come to Bury St Edmunds we see many very grateful patients who would otherwise have to put up with the misery of untreated toothache. After 40 years at the bar, the landlords of one of the region's prettiest pubs are calling time. Retirement beckons for Brian, 75, and Joyce Desborough, 73, who took on the Reed Plough in 1982. The couple moved into the pub after falling in love with it at first sight. Joyce said, We had a confectioner and tobacconist shop in Bedfordshire. It was a busy place and we were used to traffic. As we drove to Reed, I said to Brian, There's nothing out here, there's no shops, nothing. We pulled up to the pub, we fell in love with it before we even walked in. We went inside and that was it. End of story. Joyce said the pub was very different back then. Pub food was bar snacks and a ploughman's. The pub had a pool table and fruit machine and dartboard. But things change and we evolved with it, she said. We started doing specials every day. At first we did one and then two and three and then more and more. That's how things have gone and it has been great. Brian and Joyce said part of the thrill of running the pub was never knowing who might walk through the door. From cast and crew of Campion, Allo Allo, Patrick's Pantry, Location, Location, Location and stinging star Catherine Jenkins, the plough has attracted a few celebrities over the years despite its rural location. Meanwhile, among the vivid memories of their time at the pub is one particularly cold winter in the 1980s when customers went to leave at the end of the night and opened the door to discover they were snowed in. Customers had to stay the night. That was great fun. Well, the next day, Brian and Joyce's two children walked to the main road to build an igloo and ended up on the news that evening after a passing television crew stopped to film them. And while the couple's last shift is on August 27th, they're not planning on moving too far when they retire. We feel so emotional about it, but we have got to ring that bell and call time. I am sure someone will be taking the pub over and we hope they enjoy it as much as we have, said Joyce. We're moving into Berry as we love it here and we love Berry. The couple have no plans for retirement other than adjusting to not living above their workplace, which is all they have done their entire married life. David, back fighting for Root. A charity shop volunteer worker from Norton who petitioned to keep a lifeline bus service for his village 
a year ago, has said he has now been told it will only run during school term times. David Flanagan, with a neighbour, Diane Smith, started a petition last September to get the Stevensons of Essex bus company to bring back times for the 384 and 5 Berries and Edmonds service, which he uses to get to his job at the Mind charity shop in Cornhill. But he said he was told last week that the route will now only run during term times from next month. He said, This is ridiculous that a year later we are fighting for this again. NHS nurses still use this bus to get to the hospital. Workers use it to get into town. What will we do to get there during school holidays? Also, the drivers. They must have a few that cover this route. Will some lose their jobs with the reduction of the route? This will hurt quite a few people. Diane said she was also concerned about the gap in the service, which she estimates is 14 weeks of the year. She said the elderly will not be able to get to hospital appointments. We already can't see our doctors on the bus unless we come back next day. Families are already under immense pressure with rising costs and now face not getting to work. School children with weekend jobs won't be able to get to them. It all just does not make sense. It is isolating us and the whole organisation of the timetable is wrong. Bill Hiron, Managing Director of the Stevensons of Essex Bus Company, said the decision had been made due to post-pandemic usage of the service falling dramatically, which was being heavily supported by students at peak, at peak times. He added, During school holidays and on Saturdays, these movements and the associated revenue don't exist. And with increases in fuel, wages and every other cost, the service on these days is barely covering its wage costs, let alone fuel, maintenance and insurance. We did discuss the proposed withdrawal during school holidays with Suffolk County Council to see if they wished to provide funding for its continuation, but they were unable to do so. Consequently, 384 and 5 will only run on school days from September. Blue Badge Abuser to pay over £3,000. A man has been ordered to pay more than £3,000 after abuse of the Blue Badge Scheme. Peter Harrell of Jasmine Road, Red Lodge, was found guilty of altering a blue badge with the intent to deceive during a trial at Ipswich Magistrates Court last Wednesday. He was fined £660 and ordered to pay investigatory and legal costs of £2,778 and a surcharge of £66. This came after Harrell parked on the access to Guineas Service Road in Newmarket in November 2021. A civil parking enforcement officer from West Suffolk Council noticed that on the badge on display in Harrell's vehicle, the expiry date had been tampered with and the photo defaced. Harrell told the officer the badge was his mother's, but in an investigation by Suffolk County Council's counter-fraud service, found that she had died in August 2020 and the badge had been cancelled the following month. It should therefore have been returned. Councillor Becky Hopfsenberger, Cabinet Member for Adult Care at Suffolk County Council, said, This prosecution sends a clear message that the misuse of a blue badge will not be tolerated in Suffolk. This is not a victimless crime. Illegally using a badge that isn't yours is denying a disabled parking space to one of the 43,000 Register blue badge holders in Suffolk who have a genuine need for them. I would like to thank our counter-fraud service for their work alongside the district and borough councils in tackling blue badge misuse as part of our ongoing commitment to helping the people of Suffolk to live happy and independent lives. Salon relocates after 44 years. A popular hair salon is on the move after 44 years. Gavin Ashley is relocating from its current base on Churchgate Street, Berries and Edmonds, to Kings Road. The hair salon was originally founded by Gavin Downs on July 4, 1978, and has been at its present location since then. The salon has built up a cl client base across the region, and the move is also an expansion for the business, which Gavin runs with his wife Tonya. I have 13 staff at the current salon and will be looking for another six part-time and full-time stylists, said Tonya. After the pandemic, all of our clients came back 
and we also gained even more, which meant we needed a bigger and more modern premises. The site next to Denny Brothers is perfect, as it is a nice area of town with lots going for it. We are keeping it in the style of the old salon, so it will look similar, but we have also gone with an industrial theme, keeping the original brickwork. We expect to open around the beginning of September, and we'll be having an open evening to celebrate. New home for Iron Age pigs. A Westo attraction has welcomed two new residents of the Iron Age variety. Epel and Eastland, two 24-week-old pigs, have moved into Westo Anglo-Saxon village. It is part of a project to reintroduce Iron Pigs, Iron Age pigs to the site, with the Tamworth, Wild Boar and Gloucestershire Old Spot crossbreeds believed to be the closest to how Iron Age pigs looked. Westow has evidence of pigs from the Iron Age and the Anglo-Saxon settlement. Since their arrival last month, the pair have been settling into their new surroundings and role as part of the visitor attraction at Westow. Epel and Eason, named through a public vote by visitors to the village and a poll on Westow's Facebook page, cost £380, funded through the Brex project. The project is being delivered by West Suffolk Council as part of the Brex Fen Edge and Rivers Landscape Partnership Scheme, supported by the National Heritage Lottery Fund. New audio guide brings house to life. The treasures of Ickworth House have been brought to life for blind and visually impaired visitors thanks to a new audio described guide. Detailed descriptions of the rooms, collection items and gardens feature in the new guide, which has been developed in partnership with the charities Suffolk Sight and Vocal Eyes. The guide starts at the welcome point with an historical introduction before beginning the journey to the house with clear descriptions of the pleasure grounds and a dramatic reveal of the iconic rotunda. Visitors then enter the house and can hear detailed descriptions of the ground floor rooms and a selection of treasures. Suffolk Sight worked with the team at Ickworth, providing advice and guidance. The recordings and descriptions were then produced by Vocalise, a charity that specialises in bringing art and culture to life for blind and visually impaired people. Visitors can pre-book an audio guide handset at no additional cost by calling 01284 736 140. Two different headphone options are available with the handsets or visitors can take at their own headphones. Residents lambast crazy construction vehicles route. New Homes residents are fighting a developer's plan to run construction traffic through their completed estate over a period of years. Those living on the Taylor Wimpy development, Kingsbrook Place in Elmswell, have concerns over a proposal by Orbit Homes to use St Edmunds Drive as the route for construction vehicles to access adjoining land. Residents would also be unable to park along the majority of the road during the building of the new estate. Orbit already has outlined planning permission for up to 65 homes for the land to the west of the former Bacon factory. But when an application was submitted in relation to details like the layout of the new development, Kingsbrook Place residents became aware of the intention regarding construction vehicles. Their main concerns are around the safety of the public, lack of consideration for parking and potential damage to the new road. In his objection, St Edmunds Drive resident Jamie Coxedge said it would be totally barbaric for construction traffic to use the road. Mr Coxedge, who owns Auntie Pam's sweet shop in Bury St Edmunds, said there are many miners who use these roads as an area of play to which construction traffic will cause direct impact to safety and life. His neighbour, Richard Cox, 55, told us the construction traffic access plan was crazy and urged residents with concerns to formally object to the plans. Residents are imploring Orbit to use an alternative route, for example, the track to the west of the estate and to meet with them. A design and access statement prepared on behalf of Orbit Send it Edmunds Drive is the more direct route from Station Road and is a tarmac route along its length, thereby avoiding potential damage to block weave paving. There would be a 10 mile per hour speed limit for construction traffic. Work to decontaminate the site is listed as starting in October 2022, 
with building work due to finish in March 2025. A spokesperson for Orbit said they were working with Taylor Wimpy to address residents' concerns. At this moment, we can't reveal specific details, but we have submitted a construction management plan to Mid-Suffolk District Council, which includes the routes and times that will be used to construct the development, as well as health and safety procedures. This will be subject to public consultation once the council has reviewed it, they said. The roads on Kingsbrook Place have not yet been adopted by Suffolk County Council, so they are currently under the management of Taylor Wimpy. New cable scheme for townhomes. Thousands of planned homes on the edge of Thetford could benefit from a new underground electricity cable if the scheme is approved. The proposed cable, which is on the Breckland Council planning portal, would run underneath the town's road network and would help ensure there is enough energy for 5,000 new homes, known as the King's Fleet Development, being built on Thetford's northeastern edge. It would link a planned new substation, which will go next to the new houses, near the roundabout where the A11 and A1075 meet, with an existing substation just south of Barn Camp, which is part of RAF Honington. From there, it would join the existing electricity grid. It would pass round the eastern edge of the town centre, underneath Castle Lane and the area of Nuns Bridges Road in order to cross the Thet and Little Ouse rivers. The planned 771 hectare development is set to include primary schools, employment land, open spaces and commercial centres. Breckland Council and West Suffolk Council are both being consulted on the project. Variation for Empty Shop is approved. Plans for a new high street retailer to take on the remaining floors of a town's empty flagship store could be a step closer. A proposed variation to a servicing plan for the former Debenhams at the Ark Shopping Centre in Bury St Edmunds has been approved. Applicant Bury WM Unit Trust has agreed terms with an unnamed high street retailer to occupy the ground and first floors of the empty shop. An earlier acoustic assessment proposal for an everyman cinema in the basement of the building had made reference to a Primark. Last month, centre manager Alan Hassel said they were unable to comment on speculation as to which retailer could move in. West Suffolk Council approved the variation to allow a new occupier to have 24-hour access to a loading bay off Prospect Row. Berry and Bloom volunteers honoured for judging efforts. Judges in this year's edition of the Berry and Bloom competition were honoured at a special reception. This year, around 80 volunteers were tasked with identifying the best private gardens in Bury St Edmunds. Almost 1,500 certificates of merit were handed out by these judges to householders. This figure includes around 60 highly commended awards. At the Guildhall on Wednesday, the volunteers who contributed to this mammoth effort were able to enjoy a well-earned glass of wine alongside the organisers. Next year, a number of changes are planned for the competition, with even more judges required than this year's edition. Sustainability criteria will be included as part of the assessment process, and judges will start visiting Marham Park for the first time. What next for Old Waste Centre site? A former household waste recycling centre in Bury St Edmunds, hailed as a main gateway to the town, could be transformed into a supermarket, drive-through restaurant, hotel or care home. West Suffolk Council, which owns the 3.59-acre site on Ruffham Hill near the A14, is inviting expressions of commercial interest from prospective tenants. The authority will consider whether the submitted leasehold proposals meet its priorities over planning, jobs and sustainability. Councillor Sarah Broughton, Cabinet Member for Resources and Property at West Suffolk Council, said, We recognise that there is huge potential for this strategically important site. Every day thousands of drivers come in off this A14 junction into Bury St Edmunds. The site, although well screened, is the first that they come past. This is a main gateway into Bury St Edmunds and we believe it can be enhanced for the benefit of the town. The site is being marketed by Carter Jonas, which in its brochure said potential uses could include supermarkets, retail, drive-through restaurants, coffee units, 
Hotel and Care Retirement Accommodation. To the south of the site, between the Rotham Hill Roundabout and the A134 Sicklesmere Road, would be about 1,250 homes and a new primary school, as well as a new relief road. Councillor Broughton said the transformation could bring new jobs to the town, but that there would need to be investment from the council. The council is open to exploring opportunities for investment in this gateway site to deliver improvements for this part of the town and employment opportunities for its communities, she said. Any investment will also generate income, which, given that our share of the council tax only funds a fifth of the costs of our services, is important to help pay for and maintain the day-to-day -day services that we provide to residents across the whole of West Suffolk. Councillors will consider the level of investment required in the coming months. The Waste Recycling Centre on Rotham Hill closed following the opening of the West Suffolk Operational Hub. The last nun in town leaves after 23 years. Fond farewells have been paid to the last nun in Bury St Edmunds, who left the town for a new home in Ireland on Sunday. Sister Marie O'Reilly, who since 2018 had been the last remaining nun in Bury, was thrown a celebration in the crypt of St Edmunds Church ahead of her move to Dundalk. Sister Marie arrived in Bury 23 years ago as one of the sisters of St Louis, who taught at the town's Catholic schools. Father David Bagstaff, paying tribute, tribute to Sister Marie, said, Sister Marie has been a true friend for people during her time here. She leaves with tremendous gratitude for what she has done. Almost 100 years ago, nuns began teaching at the town's Catholic schools, continue, continuing until the closure of St Louis School in 2016. In 1924, Mother Ephraim arrived from Monaghan, Ireland, bringing with her sisters Mary John and Frances Regis to teach at the high school and Sister Frances for the elementary school. Two days after their arrival, they opened a convent school at 19 Westgate Street. It grew so rapidly that it moved in 1929 to the castle in St Andrew's Street South. In 1971, as part of local authority education changes to the three-tier system, the St. Louis sisters took their convent school into the system to form St. Louis Middle School. The demise of the school in 2016 resulted from the decision to revert to a two-tier system of education. The increase in the number of lay teachers reduced the involvement of the sisters of St. Louis and numbers declined. By 2012, there were only 19 sisters of St. Louis living in England. A bomb squad was called after an artillery shell, believed to have been used for wartime training, was unearthed during a survey for a new housing development. Suffolk police were alerted at about 8am on Tuesday after a 120mm device, believed to have been a World War II dummy tank shell, was uncovered from a stream bed during a land survey in Rougham Road in Bury St Edmunds. An Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team attended and the artillery shell was removed to a nearby field where a controlled explosion was carried out just after noon. A British Army spokesperson said, We always advise the public if that if they inadvertently disturb what they believe to be live ordnance, they should contact their local police force as a matter of urgency. Dobby's Garden Centre in Rougham Road was closed due to the incident and later reopened. Miniature monks move into Abbey Ruins. If you go down to the Abbey Gardens, you are sure of a little surprise, as 27 mini monks are waiting to be discovered. The Abbey Ruins 12th century stone dovecot has welcomed its 27 temporary visitors, ceramic monks, for the Abbey 1000 celebrations. The little monks, depicting life in the Benedictine Abbey, have been created by Barry St Edmunds-based ceramic artist Deborah Pipe. Stonemason Jonathan Presnell inserted the monks into spaces in the dovecot walls using a special lime mortar. The monks are in the new free Mini Monks I Spy Trail. Competition leaflets are available from the tourist information points at the St Edmundsbury Cathedral shop and the apex and can also be downloaded online. 
a £1.6 million scheme to improve access to Berry Snippens rail station has been officially opened. The new northern entrance of the station, off Fornham Road, sees an increase in the size of its booking hall. A new ticketing hub and two new retail units are also part of the scheme unveiled at a ceremony last Friday. Greater Anglia worked with West Suffolk Council, Suffolk County Council, Network Rail and Bury St Edmunds Rail Station Group on the project with funding from the government's Access for All scheme. The work has also included the reinstatement of a Victorian undercroft, discovered on old records from when the station was built in 1847, which passes beneath the railway lines to link both sides of the station and make access easier. Rainwater harvesting tank installed at Green King with more to come. As Anglia in Bloom and the Royal Horticultural Society encouraged us to focus on sustainability and make a positive impact, environmental considerations increasingly take centre stage and we started by looking at rainwater harvesting for our hanging baskets. With nearly 500 hanging baskets around the town, the amount of water being used each season is massive. We calculate 30,000 litres, even though all the baskets have water reservoirs. We also wanted to ensure we had sufficient for a low rainfall year, so decided to plan for five 10,000 litre tanks to give us 50,000 litres capacity and look for sites close to the town centre to avoid excessive travelling when filling water browsers. Bury Town Council Council Bury, sorry Bury Snebbins Town Council supported the ten thousand pound grant application by Bury and Bloom. However, all our plans were delayed by COVID nineteen, as the offered sites were closed. Finally, in early twenty twenty two, we began installing the first ten thousand litre tank at Green King, with plans for a second tank at the same location and two more tanks at Abbeygate Cinema. Once installed, the rainwater harvesting system has virtually no running cost. In addition to the environmental gain and cost savings, the harvested rainwater is much softer than the very hard tap water in this Angli water area. The high pH tap water locks up the essential nutrients essential for plant growth. The low pH, the soft rainwater, improves nutrients availability so we expect to see an improvement as the softer rainwater allows plants to grow more readily. An NHS trust has earned a prestigious award after providing high-quality pastoral care to internationally trained staff from diverse backgrounds around the world. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust is the first to have been awarded the NHS Pastoral Care Quality Award in the region. The award recognises the Trust's support, training and appreciation for international colleagues and what they contribute to the organisation. Diane Last, Head of Clinical Education at the Trust, said, I am so proud that the team has been given this award. We work extraordinarily hard to provide support during both the recruitment process and then transition into employment. The support includes weekly meetings for staff before joining to ensure a smooth transition. There is also local housing advice and signposting for those bringing family and loved ones, a colleague buddy system and programmes to promote professional development. This letter is from Jim Mitchell. Who wins in this battle of politics? The war of attrition within the Conservative Party is doing reputational long-term harm to the Conservative and Unionist Party. This is clear for all to see. The two protagonists vying for party leadership and ultimately Prime Minister are effectively thrashing the brand. The only possible winners in this contest are the other political parties who, by comparison, are out of the public eye for the time being. Liz Truss and Wishy Sunak are literally fighting it out in front of Tory full paid up members in order to influence their vote by being tougher than his or her opponents. Almost 20 years ago, another former female leader of the Conservative Party, then as chairwoman of the party's annual conference in Bournemouth, stated some home truths which are still relevant today. Theresa May stated, There's a lot we need to do in this party of ours. Our base is too narrow, and so, occasionally, are our sympathies. You know what some people call us, the nasty party.
She went on, The term nasty party applied to Conservative Party members with traditional Conservative stances, which include being anti-gay, anti-minorities, pro-business and lacking concern for the poor. If I might suggest Liz Truss is ahead of Rishi Sunak, on paper at least, because she is prepared to show the Tory party faithful her combative qualities, while Rishi Sunak, by contrast, has demonstrated his more one-nation tendency of inclusion. However, as this battle is raging in the Conservative Party, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, as the phrase goes, with caretaker Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer both missing in action on holiday. While the Governor of the Bank of England has given each and every one of us a wake-up call, first by raising the UK bank rate to its highest level in 27 years, and second, warning of a likely recession in the autumn. Moreover, UK PLC is drifting without leadership until September the 5th, apparently when he or she is crowned. A pariah victory by any measure. God help us. A letter from Gordon Halewood, the Vice Chairman of Trustees of The Bridge for Heroes. The Bridge for Heroes would like to thank everyone who donated to the charity on July 23rd in Bury St Edmunds. The total raise was a wonderful £875.70. There were £30.78 expenses for the day. This money will go towards the provision of holistic support to serving members and veterans of all our armed forces and their families, delivered by the Bridge for Heroes from our centre in Kings Lynn. Graham Day writes, Martin's pieces are a must-read for me. I was interested to read the article in the Berry Free Press of 5th of August concerning the book written by Martin Taylor about the hidden underground world of Berry St Edmunds. There were also once some suggestions that there was a hidden underground world in Ipswich, but to date nothing has surfaced. The historical column written by Martin is a must-read item each week, as it always provides to me hitherto unknown facts about the jewel of West Suffolk, that is Bury St Edmunds. How little we really know. Well done, Martin, for your efforts. I shall certainly seek out a copy of this book. Malcolm Searle from Baker's Lane in Bury St Edmunds says, Steve Britt, as always, gives value for money with his interpretations of the state of the nation, albeit from a libertarian perspective, which is undoubtedly very singular. It must be assumed that he's flourishing under the present regime and has no necessity to apply to the food bank. We are experiencing the sixth mass extinction in case this fact has fallen under his radar of awareness. Even Margaret Thatcher, as a scientist, acknowledged the early signs but caved into the fossil fuel lobby, not mentioning it in her battle with the miners. Strange that, but then caring for people's welfare was not her strong point unlike selling off the nation's assets, which was. Soon, monetary accountancy will be immaterial. Survival of the species will override this human construct of false values. However, the prospective Conservative candidates for the Prime Ministership don't seem to have this as a priority on their agendas in the rush for power. Maybe they think that market forces will solve the problem. They won't. Being a free thinker and presumably eschewing hierarchical structures, perhaps Steve Britt could become an advocate for citizens' assemblies, so depersonalising politics and actually confront our species' existential crisis with some practical solutions, not dominated politics, consumerism, profit and vested interests. There is a need to insulate British properties, both domestic and commercial. There is a need to stop any new exploration and extraction of fossil fuels. There is a need to ratchet up alternatives to our present trajectory towards what appears to be a very challenging future scenario. These are the real issues that should be uppermost in public debate, not trivial tribal politics. This next letter is from Barry Peters, who is editor of the Berry Free Press. £64 million well spent? You tell us. News this week that £64 million of our money is being spent to repair a hospital for a few years while its shiny new replacement is built will no doubt divide opinion. Or will it? 
Whenever a story breaks about the West Suffolk Hospital in Berries and Edmonds, the support the hospital gets is phenomenal. West Suffolk loves its hospital. It's the same with the hospice. They're seen as part of the fabric of our lives. At the very height of the threats and cutbacks, a former MP once told me that the Hardwick Lane Hospital wouldn't close on his watch. Hospital official officials are under no illusions. The money set aside for this work could make huge strides in patient care, but they seem to be in a catch-22 situation. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. But the reality is, just as the interim chief executive lays bare, West Suffolk still needs emergency provision and this cash will make the current hospital safe to enable us to have that care. I'm all for seeking the best value for the sound business decisions. This spend appears to meet all that. Welcome to Chatterbox. This is Opinion by Email. News that Bury St Edmunds train station had recently opened following a £1.6 million revamp got people tapping away at their keyboards early this week. Last Friday, the new northern entrance of the station, a new ticketing hub, a larger booking hall and two new retail units were unveiled as part of the scheme. Christine Hodge was glad to hear the news. She said, At last it's completed. Buried train station from what I can see looks nice. We'll miss the man who used to be at the counter. So helpful. Jim Morey added, Well done, the work needed doing. However, Judith Markham would much prefer face-to-face -face contact from a customer service agent. She said, I'm interested in customer service, not new gadgets. A person, not an online facility. And I want affordable, reliable travel, not new barriers. Stephen Copping agreed and added, Now time to increase the train service, including more frequent services and direct London trains. Another story that got people chatting was the news a former household waste recycling centre in Bury could be turned into a supermarket, drive through restaurant, hotel or care home. West Suffolk Council, which owns the site on Rotham Hill, is inviting expressions of interest from prospective tenants. Pat Power had her own ideas for the site's usage. She said, A gym or sports centre would be great this side of town. Also, could some land be made available for self-build projects? However, Eleanor Ramsey disagrees with some of the proposals. She said, We have more than enough supermarkets and restaurants. A care home would be a good idea. That certainly won't generate as much traffic. Now for some more news. Risbygate Sports Club in Berries and Edmonds hosted a tennis-a-thon in aid of Dementia UK and raised thousands of pounds. Almost 70 volunteers took part in the event last month playing 23 tennis matches consecutively. In all, over £3,600 was raised and this will finance Admiral Nurse support for families affected by dementia. These specialists provide assistance in managing the complex needs of people living with the condition. Organiser Carrie Watton said, Admiral Nurses make so much difference to the entire family of someone with dementia and we will continue fundraising until everyone has access to this life-changing support. The farm team at Rufham Estate are enjoying a well-earned rest after finishing this year's wheat harvest. The team has been working day and night to gather in the harvest, the last of which was safely gathered in on Friday. An estate spokesman said, Now it is time to have a well-earned beer and a weekend off. Weekend off. Footfall back at pre-COVID levels in town. Visitor numbers in Berries and Edmonds have returned to pre-COVID levels according to footfall figures from the start of the month. More than 100,000 footfall activations in one week have been recorded in Abbeygate Street for the first time this year, with the Business Improvement District, BID, camera counting 109,000 from August the 1st to the 7th. In the same week in 2021, 95,000 visitors were recorded, 78,000 in 2020 and 95,000 in 219, pre-Covid. The number of visitors recorded for the year to date is 2.5 million, which is 34% up on the previous year. The year-on-year 
The year-on-year increase, the percentage change in footfall compared to the same week in 2021, stands at 14.5%. Mark Cordell of BID organisation R. Beris Nedmans said, It is reassuring footfall levels are back to pre-COVID levels. This is further demonstration of how popular the town centre is as a visitor, retail and hospitality destination. As always, with quantitative measurements, it doesn't tell the whole story. It only relates to the camera at the bottom of the Abbeygate Street. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Roger and Katrina, Jill and Nick, it's goodbye. Bye. Reason to businesses looking to open in Berry, added Mr Cordell. 90 firefighters from three counties were called to tackle a forest fire on Friday night. Crews were called to Brandon Forest at about 5.30pm and 31 appliances from Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire attended to tackle the fire near the town's country park. They used hoses, beaters and misting units. Around 15 acres of forest caught fire during the incident. Consultation is stepped forward for Village Skate Park. A Thurston charity, in memory of a teenager trying for years to build a village skate park, has held a consultation about a donated community space that could also bring so much more. Residents went to the new green centre in the village on August 11th as the Ben Rag Skate Park Charity, together with Thurston Football Club, held the event after being gifted 33 acres on the western edge of the village. The charity was set up following the death of 13-year-old villager and avid skater Ben Rag after an air gun accident in May 2016 and since then has been unable to bring their dream into reality until now. Roger Smith, charity trustee, said When we thought we were running out of options, we were approached about the gifted land on a condition it was used for recreation. I was dumbstruck. Very emotional and amazed someone could offer something of that magnitude after around six years of trying. The charity came together with the football club to develop the plan, which includes allotments, a dog area, and woodland and open space, as well as football pitches and a skate park. Talking about finally getting to this stage at the consultation, Ben's mother, Claire, said, It is amazing. It is hard to put into words, but I am excited for the village and hope we can get support for this, as it is long overdue. There has been times when I have nearly given up on the idea, after knockbacks and hitting walls, and that has not made me angry, but sad. Today, though, I am very proud. I am emotional too, as at the back of my mind, this is about Ben. We are all doing this for him, and he is the driving force for this, for me, it has been what has kept me going, and I hope the whole community can get behind the plans for this great space. With more than 200 residents attending the day, Roger said it had been very worthwhile. He said, My thanks to everyone joining the conversation and for leaving valuable feedback. The feedback was very detailed, and we will publish it fully analysis when we have been able to study it in depth. Overall, there was significant support for the project. Demands for a cinema in Newmarket could be tested as part of a preliminary investigation to see whether the project is viable. The Jockey Club unveiled a concept for a cinema in the former subscription rooms in the High Street, formerly home to the National Horse Racing Museum, as part of its Playing Our Part consultation held in the town earlier this year. Amy Starkey, Managing Director for the Jockey Club's East Region, who spoke to town councillors on Monday and was asked by Councillor Andy Drummond if the announcement last week that cinema chain Cineworld was preparing to file for bankruptcy had put the organisation off the idea. If people have told us they want a cinema in the town, then we need to run a scheme to test that demand and see, she said.
We are currently conducting a feasibility study and working with West Suffolk Council and others to progress the idea of a cinema in the high street. And she said the cinema could potentially be the first element of the plan to become a reality. From the Jockey Club perspective, that is quite important because there was a degree of scepticism at the consultation around the Jockey Club's motive, she said. Genuinely, the motive is the Jockey Club has lived and worked here in Newmarket for 400 years and for us the success of the town and the success of the racing industry go hand in hand and so we are focused on delivering a cinema. Following the consultation, which was held in the spring, Three quarters of those who responded said they were in support of the overall concept for the area to the northeast of the town, ideas for which included a country park at Seven Springs, a new all-weather racing and training facility and potential residential development at Pinewood Stud. Councillors were told other comments received during the consultation, which had over 300 attendees and 2,500 website visits, included concerns around increased traffic, the need to protect biodiversity at Seven Springs and to ensure any homes created were affordable for Newmarket's workforce. All the concepts consulted on for the area known as Racecourse Side have now been submitted for consideration as part of the ongoing West Suffolk local plan process, allocations for which will be announced next spring. Next we have two items in brief. First of all, seven chickens stolen from a farm. Seven chickens have been stolen from a village farm. The theft was in Chebra, near Beres Nedmans, last week, between midnight on Monday and six in the morning on Sunday. Six silky pullets and one Polish bantam were taken after a nesting box was opened. Second item. Bullseye for charity darts champion. A darts player returned to Beres Nedmans on Monday after completing a marathon spanning multiple venues across England. Over the past fortnight, Colin Freeman has been throwing darts at pubs up and down the country. He returned to town for a session at the Corn Exchange this week, supported by friends and family. He is raising money for Young Lives Versus Cancer and the ME Association. A 100-year-old Catholic Thetford woman has celebrated her milestone with a telegram from the Queen and a papal blessing from Pope Francis. Olga Devenish, who was born in Brazil a century ago, was given the blessing from Vatican City on her birthday during last Sunday's Mass at St Mary's Catholic Church in Newtown. Paul Gilbert, Chairman of St Mary's Pastoral Council, said, Olga is a faithful stalwart of St Mary's and parishioners are in awe of her incredible attitude to life. She is one of the kindest people there is. Nothing is too much trouble for her and Olga wholeheartedly believes that her strong faith has been a determinant to her longevity and having a positive outlook on life. The centenarian has attended the town church since she moved to Thetford in the 1960s. During that time, she has been a driver's assistant on church minibus trips and assisted with fundraising activities for the parish and community, including running raffles. Now for a feature item, special summer for rickshaw team. This is a special summer for the Berries Nebbins Rickshaw. In May, our volunteers rode round the county on Ricky, our original rickshaw, carrying local heroes for the Festival of Suffolk Torch Relay. The 588-mile trip over three weeks took in all the towns and many of the villages of Suffolk, allowing us to meet many inspiring people whilst enjoying the lovely scenery and, in most places, a fantastic reception of cheering school children and locals. It was great fun, and we were delighted to be able to make this contribution to the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations. In June, we were given the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service, the MBE for Voluntary Services. The QAVS is a huge honour, especially for an organisation that only started in 2018. There will be a celebration in the new year when we shall thank everyone who supported BSE Rickshaw, including those who joined us temporarily during the pandemic to help with our efforts in delivering food and prescriptions. Meanwhile, we continue to offer free rickshaw rides to residents who need a bit of help to get out and about. We now have three passenger rickshaws and a wheelchair bike and we are currently recruiting volunteers, including riders, controllers, to man the phone, and chatty chums to sit with lone passengers. Please get in touch if you can help. 
Review readers will record our proposal to run a bicycle bus scheme to get children cycling to school. Having trialled a 10-seater cycle and found it unsuitable, the electric motor being underpowered, the plan now is for a bike train to commence after the summer holidays this year. The bike train involves children riding their own bikes to Guildhall Fiefmont and St Edmund's schools in a group supported by adult outriders. Six events will take place in early September to fix bicycles, improve riding skills and demonstrate the planned routes. The bike train, two trains to start with, probably setting out from Marham Park to the north of the town and the Wesley Estate to the west, will run on Fridays initially to a timetable and set route. The bike train project is led by our sister organisation Eco Carriers, Barrys and Edmonds, a new not-for-profit community benefit society aimed at tackling climate change by promoting and facilitating bicycle use, which uses any trading surplus from its commercial zero emissions delivery service to support initiatives like the Big Train. Thanks to Martin Lightfoot's help in finding suitable accommodation, both Eco Carriers and Berry Rickshaw will be moving soon from our cramped quarters in Angel Lane to a shared garage in Bridewell Lane. We have come a long way since 2018, about 100 yards. Another feature by local historian, author and tour guide, Martin Taylor. On the corner of West Road and Queen's Road is West Road Church, formerly West Road Hall from 1939. When a non-conformist group, the Brethren, who used to meet in Garland Street, was given the opportunity to purchase the land on the corner with Queen's Road for £300, it was taken. One of three standard church designs by the Milton Hall airbase builders, John Lang, at the cost of £2,000, was selected by the church elders, dentist Percy Lee and Dr Joyce Cochrane chauffeur, Albert Catton, amongst them. During World War II, a canteen was run from part of the hall and it was much used by disadvantaged children from the nearby Prize Estate, who attended Sunday school and the youth club there. In the 1960s, the hall acquired neighbouring number 68 Queen's Road, and a link made between them. This was followed up later with the purchase of number 69, and their cellars were knocked through to provide a larger club room. As time progressed, a decision was taken to build a new church as the congregation expanded. In 1991, the last service was conducted in the hall, demolition following, and though many building materials were reused, costs overran. However, advantageous loans were soon repaid. While works were carried out, Sunday services were held at King Edward VI School, and in November 1992, the newly named Rest Road Church came into being. As the popularity of the church grew, so did car parking's problems. This was partially solved with the purchase of the adjacent garden of 33 West Road. Now described as an independent, free, evangelical church, the congregation attending Sunday services regularly approaches 200. This next item is titled Times Gone By and took place 50 years ago. And the headline is Evelyn Gives 50th Pint. A retired shop worker, Mrs Evelyn Gray, who's 62, of Eastgate Street was one out of every 16 with her blood group and in 1972 she gave her 50th pint of it watched by members of the team who took her first pint 31 years ago. I feel fine, she said afterwards. I'll go on making donations until I'm 65, which is the age limit. Mrs Gray started donating blood during World War II and continued when the National Blood Transfusion Service was formed in 1946. A Group A Reese's negative, she has the distinction of being one out of every 16 with the blood group. She was presented with a gold brooch to mark her 50th pint. I thought you might say, oh, and I like the ritual. No, I thought I was going to say. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.st.
and edinsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.